0: It is so good to be with you today. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mike and Don Vincent. Thank you for allowing us to come. You guys are amazing. I love what we feel and uh, sense already here at the Grace Place. Just the spirit of excellence, hospitality, uh, the friendliness. You guys are amazing. The staff that we've interacted with have just been amazing. You guys, you pastors should be proud of your staff. They're doing a fantastic job. And this church should be proud of your staff. Amen. Well, Starla and I, we're both preacher's kids and uh, both raised in the church. We we probably spent more time at the church than any other place. Uh, I've I've got two brothers and we spent most of our afternoons even at the church. Mom was working a full-time job, so dad would uh, oftentimes pick us up from school and we would spend time at the church waiting for him to get off work. And my brothers and I would spend our time breaking into the church kitchen and eating stale communion wafers and soured grape juice, you know, and we'd pour it in the little communion cups and throw it back like we were drinking shots of whiskey. Uh, it's amazing. God didn't strike us dead, but that was, you know, it's, we, we got sick on communion wafers and grape juice because that's all that was left in the kitchen. Every now and then we'd find some leftover sandwiches from the women's ministries meeting. And that was a good day. Uh, but that was kind of our upbringing. We grew up in church. We knew this thing. We met in Bible school uh, and got married within a year after we met and finished our last year of school and then went right into ministry. Uh, we, we're, we're complete opposites. And Anybody else here married to your complete opposite? Hey, a lot of you we're all in trouble. (laughs) No, we were, we were married to our complete opposite. We're just, I mean, I'm black coffee. She's almond milk, cappuccino with cinnamon and honey. Uh, we're just, you know, (laughs) we're just that different. Uh, and, and we, we realized real quick that our big, one of our biggest problems were we tried to change each other. I felt like my job was to convert her over to my way of thinking because I'm a positive person. I'm the sanguine personality in the bunch. Uh, and she's the melancholy phlegmatic. And so we're just complete opposites on that spectrum as well. And I'm the positive guy. I see everything, you know, the glass half full. She sees the glass half empty or as she calls it realistic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, You know, so we're just different. But I felt like she was negative. I was positive. My job was to convert her over to the positive side of life. I mean, my blood type is be positive. I mean. Oh, negative. Yes. So I made this mistake of thinking I needed to convert her to my way of thinking, my way of seeing things, not realizing that we were a perfect match for a complete team. I was just too dumb to realize it.
1: Or a perfect match for a complete train wreck.
0: Yes. If, if you don't recognize the strengths and the weaknesses. And so we started down this road, just trying to change each other. I mean, even men and women, we have our own differences just being men and women. Men see things different. You know, you, you, women, you stand in front of a mirror and no matter how beautiful you are, you look at that mirror and you think I am a mess, (laughs) overweight, you know, whatever you, but a guy looks at that same mirror, no matter how overweight he is, he thinks he's Superman, right? We just, we see things differently. Women can look in a closet, it's full, and they say, I have nothing to wear. A man looks at a closet with two shirts and a pair of jeans, and he says, I'm good for the week, you know? We just see things differently. I'm, I'm a microwave, and she's a crock pot in everything, Getting ready in the morning, I'm the microwave. She's the crockpot. She's going to take a little longer. Uh, packing to go somewhere, microwave, crockpot. Shopping for
1: Christmas. But I don't forget my underwear when I pack.
0: Well, <laughs> Wait, I have my underwear.
1: We, did, we, we live here. We drove here. from
0: home this morning, just in case anybody's trying. No, I have underwear on. Okay.
1: If we come back again, I'll tell you a story about underwear. <laughs>
0: don't invite us back you don't want they don't want that story we're just we're just complete opposites you know shopping i'm good with getting it all done on christmas eve you know she starts in July. Already started actually we're just so different uh, and you know we 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 went down this road trying to change each other and that was a a, a bad decision everything changes in our marriage we change so much uh People change, our needs change, our desires change as we grow up. So marriage is constantly changing. So you're constantly having to adapt. Nobody here in this room, no matter how long you've been married, uh, gets to a place to where you've got it all figured out. You never have to make adjustments. You never have to make changes. You never have to make uh, you know, tweaks to the relationship. You always have to be changing because you know you get married, you're you have no kids, then you have kids, then you you're, you have multiple kids, and then kids start growing up and they leave, and then they get married, and you have grandkids, which are wonderful. Grandkids are amazing. God's gift to us for not killing our kids, right? Uh, but everything changes, so we're constantly having to tweak. And we, we call our ministry in our book "Better Marriage" because there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Let's be honest. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because there's no such thing as a perfect person. But God takes two imperfect people and he puts them together and makes them better than they could be on their own. And that's exactly what God did for us. Now, uh, we started down this road trying to change each other and that became a disaster because I didn't realize that God actually put Starla in my life to help me with my blind spots. All of us have blind spots. Uh, the, the key is recognizing those blind spots and having people in your life that can help you. Uh, so when we started down ministry, uh, we had our firstborn son a year after we were married. And so Starla immediately became very uh, motherly. She was interested in... Uh, had the responsibility of taking care of our children. I felt like my job was to take care of the church. And and so we were on two different tracks, not two bad tracks, just two different tracks. I was focused on ministry, which a lot of guys end up doing this focus on their job, while the ladies are focused on the kids or focused on their career. And if you're not careful, you end up on two different tracks. That's going to lead to a train wreck. It's going to lead to a disconnection. And that's what happened. We planted our first church in 1989 back uh, you know, on the north side of Houston. And God blessed that work. I mean, it started blowing up really quick. Uh, we had multiple campuses and multiple congregations. And, uh, and God started blessing what we were doing. And the sad thing is, is that I was, I can look back now and realize I was more interested in success in my ministry than I was success in my marriage marriage. I just felt like the marriage would fix itself. I thought it would work out. You know, I started with saying, let's go to counseling. I, no, that's for losers. I'm not going to counseling. Uh, you know, I, we'll just pray it through. Uh, nothing wrong with praying it through, but, but uh, sometimes you need a little more help. Right. And, and so we just, I just, I just, thought marriage would take care of itself. And we kept disconnecting. We kept moving further and further apart. And as the church continued to grow and the church continued to have success, uh, sadly, I allowed that to go to my head. And I felt like the success was because of me. And because I had disconnected from Starla, I was on this track alone, I felt. And I felt like it was because of me that it was succeeding. It's a bad place to be when you start thinking any success is because of you. And I became very prideful, I became very arrogant, foolishly prideful, and God continued to be faithful as we grew our church. We had just built a 2,000-seat sanctuary, had just filled it up, and we're on a high. God was faithful, and I was not. disconnecting from starla disconnecting from a voice of discernment in my life someone to cover me on my blind spots buying into false pride and false success that i thought was me i i was i was broken and i i failed my wife i failed my family i failed my god and i failed my church Over 16 years ago, I, I was unfaithful to my wife. I broke the vows that I made to her, to my children, to my God. I stood in front of our church and I confessed my sin. I resigned as pastor. And I gave myself, committed myself to a restoration process within our fellowship to gain the heart of my wife back if that was possible, to win the heart of my children back. And if there was a possibility of ministry that was kind of down the line, it was not, it was on the back burner. If that happened, that would be great, but that wasn't my focus. And we started down this road of restoration that lasted for five years. For five years, Starla couldn't say, I love you back. For five years, she wouldn't wear her wedding ring. For five years, she wouldn't commit to stay in this relationship. And I don't blame her for any of that. That's just where we were. It's what we were going through. But five years, something started changing. And a healing started taking place. And we realized that had it not been for the faithfulness of God, had it not been for uh, the faithfulness of God's people, had it not been for the love and prayers of our family, we wouldn't be where we, we are today. But 11 years into our restoration, 11 years past my failure, Starla came to me, and I'll kind of circle back around and fill in some gaps, but 11 years into our restoration, Starla said, I think we should, she said, you've always wanted to write a book, right? I said, yes. I said, I've got an idea for you. I said, what? She said, I think we ought to write our story. I said, you've got to be kidding. That's a bad idea. <laughs> I said, you never remind people of things you want them to forget. <laughs> Why would I want to write the worst days of my life in a book for people to read for the rest of my life? Why would I do that? She said, I think we could help people. And I, I said no for two years. I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm just trying to put that as far in the past as I can. And she continued to just bring it up every now and then. And and finally, after about two years, after us being willing to share our story privately and talking with people, I f- felt like, okay, I think we can do this. So we wrote the book. And it was the next step in helping us in our healing process. It was necessary for us to put that out there. I can't tell you how many times I've I've had people even now in our church uh, say, I- I'd like to consider joining the church. I said, well, here, here's a book. You got to read this first before you consider this may change your mind. I've done that many, many times. Uh, obviously, my, my problem, my challenge in all of this was shame. I was so ashamed. And, but, but God was faithful. And Starla, her part in this restoration was completely different challenge was forgiveness and i'm gonna let starla tell
1: you about her process yeah it was super slow um so our the death of our marriage took about five years and the resurrection of our marriage took about five years and i really i didn't do that on purpose that didn't happen on purpose but after we got through the restoration when we were healed and looking back on it we saw that pattern and um my my dad was first of all my hero, and I adored him. I loved him, and just let me know, babe, touch me when it's time for me to shut up. Um, but I, I adored my father. He was my hero, and then my my father was unfaithful to my mother, and he was a pastor as well. So we watched. I watched the devastation that that happened to our church, and and they stayed together, and they made it until he passed away a couple years ago. At, they were married 66 years, I think. So um, when my husband, which I already knew what was going on, but when he had to tell me the truth, everything inside of me just, just died. And I felt like I couldn't even breathe. But yet I was relieved because I wasn't crazy. So I had these crazy mixed of emotions of... Thank God I'm not crazy, but I'm going to kill him, you know? And it's okay. I don't care if I spend life in jail. It's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I went through the stages of grief that you have to go through when, when you experience a death, and that's exactly what I experienced. And, you know, I went through everything necessary. And if you go through any kind of grief, you have to go through these stages. You need to to heal. But I just got stuck in the in the being angry and bitter at him. And the the worse he got, the more distant he got from me and the more distant he got from God. He became angry and arrogant and prideful and he wasn't fun to be around. And then when he started being restored, he started becoming this beautiful person, everything that I had longed for and hoped for in the past. And then I was becoming this prideful, arrogant jerk that nobody really wanted to be around and i was throwing punches as fast as i could at him because i really felt like he deserved it i felt like i was worthy he was unworthy that i was i was the godly person and he was ungodly i felt like he didn't deserve the forgiveness and but yet i kept praying and i kept calling out to god and i kept getting in his word but I wasn't getting an answer. I was frustrated. I was angry at God because I had prayed that this would never happen to me. And I felt like he turned his back and let it happen. So I was kind of frustrated at God. And then one night I was reading in the the book of John, and it was the story about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And I'd read that story my entire life. I'd always heard it. And I was always amazed at how... When the Pharisees and the religious rulers came before Jesus, as he was teaching, they interrupted him because they wanted to point out somebody's sin, and they'd brought this woman before him who was caught in the act of adultery. I asked Kendall this morning, I said, well, why don't they mention the husband? They don't even talk about the husband or the man that she was in adultery with, and I thought, I think his wife already killed him. She already took care of him. tell you that. But anyway, he just kept silent. He said, I'm not saying a word, right? But every other time, you know, it was just, when I'd read this story, I was amazed at how Jesus just stayed calm. And he let them say their say. And then he just said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And I think it was quiet, just like it is in here right now. And then one by one, starting with the oldest who started seeing all their sin just begin to walk away. You know, there were times in my restoration, in my anger, when I was so ugly and so bitter that I'd read this story and I'd think, I wish they had called my husband before a crowd and they would have stoned him. And I was serious. To the core, I was serious. And this time when I read it, it was like the Lord just let me see that I was that Pharisee I was that religious ruler. I was that jerk. I was that person that was interrupting Jesus as he's teaching, as he's doing good. And I wanted to bring pain upon my husband. And it really just, it hit me in the heart. It knocked some sense into me, really. And I just cried out to God to help me forgive and to help me love my husband and to help me get past this anger and this bitterness because I had become everything that I hated in him. I just want to throw this in really quick. This morning I woke up. I didn't even tell you. I woke up probably 4.30. And I woke up thinking about the love of God and how powerful and how rich and how mighty it is and how capable it is of loving and restoring and forgiving us at our weakest and our ugliest and at our darkest And I just prayed, you know, God, we've been telling this story for years, and I don't ever want it to become routine. I don't ever want it to become rehearsed. I don't ever want it to sound exactly the same each time. It's the same story, but I want God to speak differently to each crowd. And I just prayed today, God, what is it? What is it today that you want to be different? And I really felt like I needed to say how much the anger and how much hate I had. And I don't really dwell on that that much, but I hated this man. I hated it as much as you can hate a human being. And the fact that I love him now, it is is as if you're seeing someone who was on their, they were dead, they were buried, they were done, and God came in and removed all the dirt and breathed life into their lungs again. Because we were so done and so over, but God restored. For anybody that thinks you're too done and you're too dead and too far gone, don't. God is able to restore. So in the same night, this pivotal moment in my life that God gave me that story in John 8, he took me to the scripture, what I'd never even read before, never noticed this scripture before but I know it was for me and I know it was written for me way back when and it's in second Corinthians 2 6 through 8 and it says he was punished enough when most of you were united in your judgment against him now it's time to forgive him and comfort him otherwise he may become so discouraged that he won't be able to recover now show him that you still love him and I knew it was time I knew it was time to let go, and I knew it was time to drop every one of those rocks that I had been throwing at him, all the stones that I had been casting at him. And that was when everything changed in us. It's when our restoration really began. That's when God did the miracle and breathed life back back into us. Amen. Amen.
0: Someone said, if you don't stay together through the bad, then you won't be together for the good. And we really believed that there was something good that God wanted to do. Because we believe that God works all things together for good. We believe Genesis fifty twenty, What the enemy meant for harm. God can use for good. We just believe that. And so we chose to stick it out. We chose to stay together. Somebody said. Uh, how do you stay together no matter what? Number one. Stay together. Number two. No matter what. It's not. It's. Yeah, I know it's not that easy. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of challenge. And I know not every marriage makes it. I get it. But we chose to stay together for several reasons. And let me just tell you these real quick. Number one, we chose to stay together for our Lord Jesus Christ. We just believe that he deserved uh, a win. Not that he needs a win, but he He, he needed a story. Not, not he needed anything. Let me, let me rephrase that. We wanted Jesus to get the glory out of this. Uh, we just didn't want him to have to be blamed or for, we just wanted God to get some glory. So we thought, let's stick it out and let's, let's give, uh, let's give a win to the kingdom of God. Uh, the second reason we stayed together was for each other because we just believe that we're better together. Uh, I know that I'm better with Starla. I'm hoping and praying sometime or another she'll be better, uh, uh with me, but, I just know I'm better because of her. But then we also stay together for our children. We, we wanted our children to be able to see us get back up. They saw us fall. We wanted in them to see us get back up. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, Kendall, what, you what do you want your legacy to be? I said, I want my legacy to be that I got back up. My father was my hero. He showed me how to live and he showed me how to die. I I hope for my kids, I can show them. Obviously, I've shown them how to fall. But my hope is I can show them how to get back up. Because a lot of people fall. All of us fall. Our failures are different. Our failures have different consequences. But we all fall. But not everybody gets back up, but my challenge to you today is to get back up. We stay together for our kids, and I've got a picture of our kids. I want you to see them real quickly. Uh, in fact, here's our grandkids. Hey, before I go there, hang on. those aren't our kids.
1: That that all happened in the last eight years. <laughs> hey,
0: hey, go to the picture of our kids. Just four, the four. There you go. Our kids. <laughs> we have two boys, two girls uh, and all are involved in ministry today. And we are so grateful for that. But, uh, then there's a picture I believe of the other wedding picture. Can you show that? This is a picture. We show you this is our youngest daughter getting married and our kids and their grandkids. And I show you this because we love to brag. No, I show you this because this is a picture of what a family can look like if you stick it out and fight for it. There's no telling what it would look like had we chose to go our different ways. We could have. We could have gone our different ways, but we wouldn't have had this. And then the grandkids. Nine grandbabies. (laughs) Unfortunately, they're in three different states. But (laughs) three in Georgia, three in Illinois, and three in Colorado. But nine beautiful grandbabies. We stay together for our children, but we also stay together for others because we wanted to be able to help others. You know, our family was a big part of our restoration we wanted our family to be a part of it. We wanted to be able to uh, all be a part of sharing a restoration message. Now, let me just wrap this up with this thought. If the keyboard would come back, please. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, there's a scripture that says this, Jesus came and stood among them and he said this, he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. What was he showing them? He was showing them his scars. The scripture is speaking of a time when Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He had not ascended to heaven yet. So it's those 40 days in between his death and resurrection and the ascension. The disciples' world has been turned upside down, which is where some of you are today. Your world has been turned upside down. There's been some hurt. There's been some brokenness. There's been some failure. There's been some mistakes. It's where we were 16 years ago. Our world had been turned upside down. Didn't know what tomorrow looked like. Didn't know if there would be a tomorrow. Now, I got to be honest, during the time after I told Starla that I had failed her, I wanted to kill myself. I don't usually talk about it. But I contemplated suicide because I felt like she would be better not having to deal with having to forgive me, not having to deal with, look at me in shame. And, and probably more of it was I didn't want to have to look at her. I didn't want her to have to look at me. I didn't want to have to deal with the shame. A heavy cloud came over my life and I, I saw no hope. And I felt like the only way out was suicide. It's the only day that I ever felt like that. But it's amazing what happens when you have no hope. Jesus gives hope he gives hope and we believe that our story has hope we all have scars we all have mistakes we all find ourselves in a world where things are turned upside down we know what, don't know what to do that's what the disciples were facing so Jesus walks in and he speaks peace in the midst of their storm in the midst of their hopelessness We speak peace in the midst of your hopelessness today. You see, we all have scars that usually we try to hide. Scars are not necessarily something that we show off. We hide it with makeup, we hide it with clothing. But scars have a story to tell. Scars tell of an injury that has happened, but it also tells of a healing that has taken place, right? Scars may not be pretty. Scars may not be ugly. But they say we are healed. Our story is a scar. It's not all that pretty. And I know when we share it, it hurts some people. I know it it raises up some feelings from the past for many people. But as ugly as our scars are, our scars tell a story of healing. Scars that we walk through tell a story that we've made it through. Thomas, one of the disciples, walked into the room where the disciples were. And you remember what he said to the other disciples? Unless I see the scars, I won't believe. And so Jesus showed Thomas his scars. And it was because he saw the scars that he believed. I know some people just need to see scars in order to believe that they can get through what they're going through. The redeeming factor for us in sharing our story and going through this every single time and it never gets easier is the hope that somebody's going to believe that they can get through whatever they're going through. That God can turn their world back right side up. That God can bring healing to the things that have caused your injury. See scars represent an injury. It represents a hurt. It represents somewhere that you've been uh, wounded but it also shows that you have been healed our scars may disqualify us from some people but our scars uniquely qualify us for others there have been many times that we've talked to people and people have said hey tell us your story and we look at each other and starla's usual go-to is you tell them you got us into this this is your story to tell we tell our story so many times people look at us and tears start rolling down their cheeks and they say that's our story too. If God can bring healing to your marriage, then maybe God can bring healing to ours. Here's the rest of the story. 2007, we felt like God had breathed enough life into our marriage that we were willing to take a chance and start a church. And I'll be honest, starting a church, even at our age, was a whole lot... We felt like that would be easier even though church planting is very hard. We felt like that would be easier than going somewhere and taking a chance on some church body voting on us because I thought I'm never going to get anybody's vote. So we'll just start a church and tell people our story. Hey, if you want to come join this scarred family, come on. And that's what God has done. We built our church, built on scars, built on pain, built on restoration, built on a story of imperfection and I tell, I, I, I give the book to people. Just, just a few weeks ago, I, a guy came in, a businessman. He said, hey, I'm interested in joining your church. And I gave him the book. I said, you better read this first. He came back and said, I don't care about that. Everybody makes mistakes. He said, how'd you build the church? That's what I want to know. And he became a member. Our story, every one of us, our story, your story, it's meant to help somebody it's meant to heal somebody it's meant to restore somebody that's what we've used and God has blessed our church in 2007 God has continued to bless and we've done more at our church in Dallas than we ever thought about the church that we built in in Houston we've seen God bless multiple congregations multiple campuses and it's blown me away what God has done he just continues to grow But not only our English services, our Spanish services, Bulgarian services, Romanian services, and Russian service, and a Jewish Messianic service, and a Bulgarian service. I don't know if I mentioned that one. But we have all these different congregations that are all part of our church family. And it's all to the glory of God. Now, here's what I know. The scars that Jesus showed to his disciples I often ask this question the power of resurrection was able to raise Jesus from the dead breathe life back into a dead corpse that body when it was resurrected came through the stone wall or through the stone that was covering the tomb because he was already gone when the stone was removed he walked through the wall where the disciples were hiding that's the power of resurrection to transcend stone and walls and death itself, but yet he was still scarred. The power of the resurrection didn't remove his scars. I thought, why why, why are his scars still there? You know why the scars are still there? Because the scars are not a reminder of Jesus' defeat. The scars are a reminder of his victory. And every single one of us, Yes, we have scars, but our scars are not a reminder of our defeat. Our scars are a reminder of the victory of Jesus, how he takes our lives and he heals us and he restores us. We tell our story not to magnify our sin. We tell our story to magnify the healing power of Jesus, the restoration of Jesus, and he can do the same in you. You have a stone, a rock in your hand. I want you to do something. I want you to assign A purpose. I want you to assign a memory. I want you to assign something to that rock here in just a moment. And then I'm going to ask you, if you will, you have that stone in your hand, would you stand to your feet with me also? Because I'm going to ask you to do something with that stone. There were many times when, before we got to the point of sharing our story, that people would ask us our story. After we moved to Dallas and we would tell the story, oh, we pastored a church in Houston. And then, you know, then we moved to Dallas and I would jump right over this ugly part of our life. Now we pastor here. And every now and then people would say, whoa, whoa, hang on, why, why did you move from Houston? And, you know, I'd skirt around it and I'd say stupid stuff. The Lord works in mysterious ways, you know. God called us to Dallas, you know. The fact is, we moved because of Failure. the move was because of pain I didn't want to have to deal with that I didn't know what to do with it I didn't know how to deal with those those dark years of pain it's just like the disciples they're hiding in the room they don't know what to do how do they deal with this what they can't explain Jesus was alive now he's dead we don't know what's happening they're hiding until Jesus comes in and shows them scars and assign some purpose to those rocks. Here's what I want you to do. In just the next few moments, I'm gonna ask you to bring that rock, to bring that stone because it represents some pain. It represents a hurt. It represents a wound in your life. You don't really know what to do with it. Maybe you've used the stones in the past to throw at somebody else because you know what that does is it puts the focus on somebody else's pain. It puts the focus on somebody else's sin. It puts the focus on somebody else's failure. But today, you're not going to throw the stone at anybody else. You're not going to put the focus on anybody else. You're going to assign your own pain, your own hurt, and your own wound to the rock that you hold in your hand. You say, I don't know what to do with this pain that I have in my life. I don't want to do with this hurt that I have in my life. I don't want to do with this, this, this wound that I have. It may not be because of your marriage it may be something that happened as a child a hurt and a wound that you still carry from childhood it may be something that happened in your teen years it may be something that happened this last week But here's what I know, if you continue to hold on to that rock you will find reasons to throw it at other people you'll find reasons to focus on other people rather than allowing God to bring healing to the wound that's in your heart here's what happened with us until we were able to give our scars to Jesus and say, okay, here's our story, it's ugly. We've hit it, we've avoided it, we've jumped around it, until we gave it to Jesus and allowed him to redeem it. Everybody say, redeem. Redeem. I love that word, redeem. What does that mean? He buys it back. He buys it back and if we allow him to redeem it, he buys it back and he uses it for his glory. So I'm going to ask you to assign your pain, your wound, your hurt to that rock. And then I'm going to ask you to allow Jesus to redeem it today. I'm going to ask you to bring it and place it upon this altar right up here, upon the stage. And when you give it there symboli- symbolically, you're going to say, Jesus, I give it to you. And I ask you to redeem it, to buy it back and give it purpose. And allow you to be able to now have purpose for your pain." a reason for that wound and an opportunity to share the goodness of God. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bring it to this altar. If you can't bring it, that's okay. If you're still working through the process, that's okay. But if you can, you say, I want God to redeem my pain, to redeem redeem this wound, to give purpose to this injury. I want to turn around and use it for the glory of God then I'm going to ask you to bring it to that, this altar and lay it on the stage right now you can just leave it here and then make your way back to your seat redeem it God redeem it redeem every hurt redeem every wound Redeem every scar. Redeem every ounce of pain. Redeem the worry. Redeem the fear. Redeem the anger. Redeem the bitterness. Redeem it, O God. Take the pain that we have been living with. Take the, the wounds that we have suffered and redeem it. Give it purpose. Give it meaning. Lord, give us an opportunity to be able to use it for your glory. We choose not to carry it anymore. We choose not to bury it deep in our heart anymore, but we lay it down at this altar and we give it to you today, O oh God. We turn it over to you. And now from this day forward, we choose to never allow that wound, that failure, that mistake to define us but we allow your healing and your restoration to define us we allow the fact that you have taken it and you have turned something that was so ugly into something that's so beautiful you've turned something that seems so painful into now a reason to give you glory and honor so we give you the glory and we give you the honor redeem it I'll tell my story I'll tell my journey. If it helps somebody else get through their journey and get through their story and to get through their pain and to get through their failure, then I'll tell it one more time, oh God. I'll tell it one more time. With your head still bowed all over this place. If you're here today, you've never really fully surrendered your life to Christ. It's one thing to give your pain It's one thing to give your wounds and to give your scars and to give your injuries to him. But you know what Jesus really wants? He wants your whole life. He wants everything. And he wants to take your sins, to take them from off of the weight of your life and to replace it with a new life, new hope, new joy. And whether you're in this room right now or you're watching this service online, if you're here today and you say, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I'm ready to give Jesus my life. I realize I'm not going to be able to have full restoration until I'm fully surrendered to Jesus. Whether you're just now making a commitment to follow Christ or maybe you've wandered away from Him, you've wandered away from your faith, you realize today it's, it's time for me to come back to Jesus. It's time for me to come home. He's waiting on you to come home right now. And I want to pray for you. Just before I pray all over this place, if you say, "Kindle," include me in that prayer. I'm ready to come back to Christ. I'm ready to surrender once and for all. I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. On the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. Say, that's me. That's me right now. Ready to come home. Ready to come home. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else say, that's me. That's me. If you're watching online, I want you to get ready to pray with me. You can slip your hand up in your, in your room right there where you are in your car. Say, "That's me." pray for me. I want us to pray this prayer. No one's going to pray alone. Those that raise their hand, I want you to pray this from your heart. Pray it out loud and strong. Because the Bible says if we confess with our mouth, which we're getting ready to do, and you believe in your heart, then anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's all pray this prayer to, together. No one prays alone. Everybody say, dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Come into my heart, wash away my sin, and be the Lord of my life today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, now let's give Jesus some praise, will you? That's